Welcome to Bills by the Numbers, presented by FanDuel, where we let the stats tell you where the Bills are at. Coming up, an interesting look at the payoff in drafting senior bowl players and how the Bills have fared in that area with those kinds of picks. Steve does his level best in the numbers game, and ESPN's Field Yates joins us to talk Bills draft and what may have been the wildest offseason ever. And we ask our one burning question as always. Get in here, we're on the clock! Tick, 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 as we tick ever closer to the 2022 NFL Draft. Glad you could join us here on Bills by the Numbers. Steve Tasker there, Chris Brown here. And we dive into an aspect of the draft that our good friends at the 538 unearthed with a new metric called meaningful snaps over expected. Don't worry, Steve. We won't be diving into that part of it. But they tried to ascertain whether players drafted who were at the Senior Bowl pan out to justify what appears to be a consensus opinion among NFL GMs that players who have a long productive career in college, and then have a good week at the Senior Bowl, usually end up being pretty good players in the league. So my first question for you, Steve, is does that seem like a logical conclusion that Senior Bowl players tend to go on to pretty good careers in the NFL? To me it does, because you go to that Senior Bowl to get a look at these guys under the guidance of pro coaches for the first time. You get them in an atmosphere that's controlled by the league. League ask him what they want him to do and how that kid performs and how he talks to you off the field. So it is an enormous job interview for these seniors or and yet seniors coming out in the senior bowl. Enormous job opportunity. And I think it goes a long way toward giving confidence to the teams that say, you know what, that's the guy I'm drafting. So you're talking about drafted players off the senior bowl. The extra knowledge they gain at the Senior Bowl gives teams an idea of what they can expect from that guy, and I think it solidifies the expectations. It give, it, Therefore, you don't elevate your expectations. You don't over-expect from mm-hmm. a kid you get from the Senior Bowl. You kind of know what you're getting. And I've, seen, I've had pro coaches tell me they get guys into training camp and, they, and who they haven't seen that much, don't know that much about, and they can tell you in 20 minutes whether the guy's going to be a good pro or not. And that's what happens at the senior bowl. You get those 20 minutes before you actually pick the guy. Yeah, it makes more logical sense to me that senior bowl players pan out for a couple of reasons. As you pointed out, there is a larger body of work. And you say, well, what the heck, does, what difference does that make? Like, if the guy had on a 1,000-yard receiving season as a junior, he does again as a senior. What difference does that make? It solidifies the evaluation is what it does. It becomes, for the scouting community and personnel people, senior bowl players require, more often than not, less of a projection because there is more certainty in what you are getting from a player that is at the senior bowl because they played four years in college and now they're going, if you had any doubts, at the Senior Bowl during that week, they're going best on best in their class from around the entire country. And if they do well there, it only reemphasizes this guy's ready to be a productive player in the NFL. There's a, it goes a long way towards coaches 
knowing what they're getting before they get it. When you get a guy in there that says, and because coaches have a lot of different techniques and, and players and human beings learn in a lot of different ways. Some guys can see it on a chalkboard or on a, on a drawing or on an overhead, whatever. They can see it on a diagram, go out on the field and do it. Other guys can see it on film, don't even need to see the draw up, and, they, that, and then they can do it. Uh, so there's a lot of different ways to teach guys. Also, there's a lot of different personalities that coaches, have, particularly at the NFL level, have had access to, and they know, all right, this guy responds to that, that guy responds to that. When you get these guys on the field in the, in the senior bowl and coaches can watch another pro coach interact with the guy and watch the guy interact with his teammates, and then you talk to him away from the field, and you, get, you know, you just know how the guy thinks and how he works so you can communicate in a more effective way. And, and like the other thing, too, you know where his ceiling's going to be. You know how to get the most out of him. And that gives that kid a much longer leash when he gets on a, on a roster and in a training camp. They go, okay, we know he's going to struggle with this and this, but he's doing exactly what we thought he was going to do here. But we'll work on this. You know, you just, you just give them – they're just more patient with these guys. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes a long way towards giving them a much more productive career because they get off to a better start. And taking it a step further – if you're fortunate enough to be one of those NFL coaching staffs coaching the senior yeah, bowl roster, absolutely. either the North or the South team, it, it literally embeds you with those prospects where it's not just a 20 minute interview. Now it's, Hey, I'm giving you information. How well can you retain it and execute it on the practice field? How committed are you to practice? Do you relish it? Do you enjoy it? Or is it work? You know, and these are all things that coaches are pulling from these players as well. Watch the Jets this year. It's Watch a, how many senior bowl right. kids they draft because they were coaching them back in January. It's and I'll say this too, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna point any fingers or cast any aspersions or anything like that, but you'll have coach here's the thing. They watch these most players don't understand they're being watched all the time. They think they're being watched when they go out, step up to the front of the line, and they take off and go. Or when they, they say, okay, now do this drill. They, they tell them to go do the drill, and they, you know, they're sitting there like, <clears throat> there are guys, you'll catch guys, when the coach is looking, they're all about it. When the coach isn't looking, they're not. Hmm. They don't understand that's, that's evaluated. They, p- coaches watch that. In fact, <laughs> coaches, I sw- I'm telling you, coaches have drills that, give them evaluation of what the guy thinks about doing something tedious that's meaningless, and the coach knows it's tedious and meaningless, he wants to see how the guy handles it. Yeah. They, they're giving the guy grunt work to see how he handles grunt work because if he can't handle that, th- how he handles that tells them what they need to know about what he's going to handle that's really important. All of that goes in there. It's all, you can say it's mind games. It is. It's a psychological evaluation as much as it is the athlete. They can watch you run, jump. They can measure all that. But it's a psychological evaluation from the time you land in Birmingham to the time the game final kick goes, to the final whistle blows in the game, you're evaluated. And it's a psychological evaluation as much as it is a physical one. Right, because they want to know the person they're getting as much as the player they're getting. And I'll give you a perfect example. I remember there was a GM that I interviewed at the Senior Bowl, and I said, how fine do you cut it? And he said, I'm not going to tell you who, but there was a player sitting on the sidelines who threw his 
Gatorade cup at the garbage pail and missed. And I was watching to see if he was going to go over and pick it up and put it in the can or if he was just going to let it go. That's right. That is how fine. That's how they do it. That is how fine they cut some of this stuff in evaluating who the person is. Right. That. I've I've said it a million times on the show. The game demands emotional intent. It demands a, it demands everything of you. And if you've got it in the tank that you know that and you're going to give it no matter what, some t- they don't care what you – they'll draft you. That's the kind of attitude they want. Teams like New England, that's the only kind of guys they get. They don't care if the guy – Smart guys. Yeah, smart guys who are committed. That's why they always ask, you know – what are your what's your goal? What do you really want out of this? And they the perfect answer, if you can make them believe it, is I want to be the best football player I can be, no matter what. Yeah, that's it. That's and, what they want. And we hear the three words here in Buffalo all the time from the personnel department here: smart, tough, and dependable. That's what they want out of players. The research by the five thirty eight, which covers drafts since twenty twelve, said every position. But quarterback and running back returned positive value in terms of meaningful snaps over expected from senior bowl players. Defensive back offered the highest return on senior bowl player investment. That was followed by linebacker, tight end, offensive line, defensive line, and receiver after that. What is your theory, Steve, as to why defensive back tends to be a best bet when drafting prospects who are at the Senior Bowl. The whole thing is set up to test the mentality of a player and the, the atmosphere and everything that goes into it because it's a one week, it's one game, and the competition level is upped. Everything about that reeks of what it takes mentally to play corner. You don't have much time to prepare. The rules are stacked against you. The competition is elite. Go. Go. You know, and if not, you can jump into that pool into and swim and thrive, that's all. That's a cornerback. That's yeah. what a cornerback does. He's out there by himself. Go, and you've got a creative athlete who's going to just try and get open against you on a timing route, and you got you don't know exactly. You know, you, you have to be truly reactive. You got to be too, truly reactive because you don't have a game. You don't know for sure if the safety's coming over. You don't know if your linebacker. You know if you're going to underneath. You don't know if the pass rush is going to be any good. You don't know anything. You're on your own. That reeks of cornerback mentality. Yeah. Because they are that is a that is a unique position in all of pro sports. You know, that's they, they say it's an island for a reason, man. Mentally, it's an island. Whether you've got safety help or not, linebacker help or not, whether you're the two guy or one, whether you're double teaming or not, once in a while you're out there and it's you and him, and it's gonna come down to the ball coming to your way. You gotta be ready. And that's so the whole week, the reason I think it's positive returns in this senior bowl is because the whole week, the mentality of these guys, you know, they, they just found out what the offense is going to be. They don't know who's going to be throwing the football. They don't know who the lineup's going to be. And a lot, for a lot of players, you know, it's just, you know, they don't use, you know, offensive linemen, they're never one-on-one except after the ball is snapped. and all right. that. A quarterback lives his life one-on-one. And this – this atmosphere, the guys that thrive in that atmosphere in the Senior Bowl, it says something about where their mentality is. Yeah. you got to be tough as nails at that spot. Yeah. And I think that test 
if they tap pass that test, it says it. I mean, every single play in practice, every single play in the scrimmages during the week, every single play in the actual game on that Saturday, you're under the spotlight as a corner um, and to a certain extent as a safety. I mean, everybody's under the spotlight, you're but it is yeah. a true, as you stated, one-on-one -on -one battle every single time you set foot on the field. Are you surprised that quarterback and running back offer negative return in this scenario with senior bowl prospects? Overall, know. it's not yeah. everybody. Right. I'm but surprised. Overall, I'm surprised negative anybody. Return. I'm surprised anybody gets negative returns. Here's my thought on that. I think the reason it's it's negative as it was measured by the 538 is because the quarterbacks that are going to the senior bowl more often than not are trying to raise their profile because there are junior eligibles in the class right. that are already higher than them on the board, and they're trying to make up for a grade that they probably are not going to reach, and they're just trying to pump their tires as best they can that week in some way, shape, or fashion. Yeah. Running back is perplexing to me because that's usually a position that lends itself to providing contributions early in their career. It's not a super high cerebral position. It's a position that relies a lot on natural God-given ability. So that's the one that surprises me. But quarterback, I'm thinking, well, who are the quarterbacks that are usually at the senior bowl? Guys that need to raise their profile. Right. Guys that have junior eligibles at the quarterback position coming out early because they're going to be the first three off the board, right. not the guy that's at the senior bowl. Right. There are exceptions, but I think that's part of the reason why for that. How do the Bills factor into these numbers, you might ask? Uh, in the Bean McDermott era, the Bills have conducted five drafts, four with Brandon Bean, one without, and a total of 37 picks in that span. 16 of those draft picks were prospects who were at the Senior Bowl. That's more than 43% of the Bills picks in the Bean McDermott era. 12 of those 16 Senior Bowl draftees by the Bills are still on Buffalo's roster, and all 16 of them are still playing in the league today. So Buffalo's success in drafting prospects who are at the Senior Bowl would appear to support the league-wide findings by the 538.com. But is 43% of Buffalo's picks being Senior Bowl prospects surprise you, Steve, or is it about what you expected? Um it's interesting because here's the thing as well. It's almost half. Yeah, it is. But I would say, you know, some of those guys, I, I, I don't know I don't know what I would have expected because I would think, man, a lot of those guys, you'd want to get, grab a lot of those guys, but so would everybody else. You know, so I don't right. know how many players were available of the 37 picks to pick of the 16. You know plus, what I mean? Plus, you also have to think about the juniors that come out every year. A lot right. of times they're at the they're higher better. end of the board anyway. Yeah. Right. So it's – I don't know if I could make an evaluation unless I knew if there was a different senior – or maybe they're picking between senior bowl prospects on a certain draft pick. Could be. Or there was no senior bowl prospect that was even – you know, they didn't want to pick the guys on their board, late, you know, whatever. Uh, I don't know if that it had to do so much with the picks that were available or the deliberate attempt to get a guy they knew more about. Uh, I think – the only thing I would say is I would suspect the Bills would pick a senior bowl candidate over another guy who were viewed equally because they knew more about the senior guy and they knew that the floor right. was high. They, they trusted the floor to be high and the ceiling to be – either the ceiling to be low, but the floor is high. 
or vice versa. The ceiling's really high and the floor was whatever it was. Um, 40%. I, that is a little high, I guess. 43%. That's a little high. It's a little bit higher than I thought only because, as I mentioned, the juniors that come out, they're not coming out unless they know they're going to be a first or a second round pick. Right. And so they're gobbling up a lot of the early round draft choices, selections. And so I'm thinking, okay, that means the senior bowl kids, sure, there will be some in rounds one and two, but they're dominating rounds three through seven then. That's what that tells me um, yeah. in terms of the percentage. The folks at the 538 also found that the best total value on senior bowl picks comes in rounds one and two. That seems somewhat elementary. That would be the case no matter what portion of the draft class you'd be pulling out. The best value you should be coming right. from rounds one and two. Even though the round in which most senior bowl picks have been made since 2012 is round three. Now, I would argue just being a highly graded player is why those guys are drafted in rounds one and two. It has probably less to do with the senior bowl designation. Even the round in which most senior bowl picks have been made since 2012, which is round three. Now, I would argue um, what doesn't surprise me at all is that senior bowl players are taken with the highest volume in round three. Because once again, we're talking about the junior eligibles yeah. here. They're usually dominating rounds one to two. That leaves less picks to make a senior bowl selection in rounds one and two. So then after you get through the top tier, you come into late day two, round three. It's like, oh, I remember this kid from the senior bowl. Really liked him. He's still on the board. Let's grab him now in round three. Does that make sense yeah, to you? Yeah, and also, when you get to round three, there starts to be more intangibles, more... Those carry more value. More creativity. Yeah, they more creative, creativity, more, un, I guess it's more unknowns when you get out of the first two rounds. There are more unknowns about these players. He's got a, a physical trait that's not quite up to snuff. Uh, his speed, his height, his weight, his whatever... Something's not quite right with him physically, not to be a first rounder. He's too short yeah. or he's too heavy. His arms aren't long his arms enough. aren't long enough. His, his vertical was bad. Whatever. When you get to round three, those things start to become more and more prevalent as you get down the board. And when you get outside of those tangible things and you think this guy can play physically, no doubt. The rest of it's the question mark. You get into the guys in the third round that, well, this guy's got all that other stuff. The physical part starts to be the question mark. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm st sitting here, look, you look at me. I played. So you can – guys who have other stuff can also contribute. Coaches know that. So let's get the guy that has all that stuff. We know he contribute, and we'll see what his physical stuff can bring him. Yeah. You know, that's, that's where you start getting into it in the third round, and that's why the senior bowl, with that psychological side of it we talk about – at least they know they're getting a guy that's committed in a round like the third round, fourth round, fifth round. All right, we move along now to the numbers game where we're going to see if Steve can name some of these senior bowl prospects that the Bills have drafted over the last five years as we shed a little bit more light on the prevalence of senior bowl players being drafted by the Bills. So, Steve, as we mentioned, there are a total of 16 players since the 2017 draft that the Bills have taken, who were also at the Senior Bowl. Question number one. Hmm. Only four of Buffalo's 
16 Senior Bowl draft picks were taken in round one or round two. Can you name them? Those four. Four. Ed? It is not Ed Oliver. He was a junior eligible coming out. Now, so was... No, Rousseau was Rousseau. Was Rousseau a junior eligible? Yeah, he only had one year as a starter, so it's not Greg right, Rousseau. First two rounds. Four players taken in round one or round two since 2017 who were also at the Senior Bowl. Tredavious. Tredavious is one, correct. Tremaine Edmonds. Tremaine Edmonds is not. He was a junior. Josh was in that group, right? Josh Allen, correct. So it's Tredavious, Josh. There are two more. And I'm going to say... Basham. Boogie Basham. Good job, Steve. One left. And the last one would be, I'm thinking, Spencer Brown. Spencer Brown was a third round draft choice. Dog it. You're right. Um, I'm thinking offensive line. No, I will give it's you not, a hint. Is this Dawson this, Knox? No. This guy was also at the Senior Bowl the same year as Tredavious White. So the same draft class so he was he obviously wasn't the first round pick because that was Tredavious who was the second round pick I'm trying to make sure I don't (laughs) sit here and drool as my mouth hangs open in thought Um, second round oh man that's going back um What, what makes it difficult is he is no longer on the roster. Right. It's not like it's like Wyatt Teller was a fifth. Correct. Uh, is, oh, Zay Jones. Zay Jones. Good job, Steve. You got all four. Well done. Question number two. Which draft class over the last five years for the Bills had the highest number of senior bowl prospects in it? I got to say 2018. And you would be 100% correct. It starts with Josh, all those guys. Yeah. Yeah. So the 2018 draft, the Bills had eight total draft choices. Five of them participated in the Senior Bowl that year. Now comes the challenge. Oh, I got to name them? Can you name those five players from the Bills' 2018 draft class that were at the Senior Bowl? You already mentioned one. Uh, Dawson? No. Uh, spent, I mean, uh, Wyatt? Wyatt Teller is one, but that wasn't the one I was thinking of. The number one guy. Oh, Tredavious. No. 2018, buddy. Who's the first round pick of the 2018? Tremaine? Josh. Josh. Yeah. I said Josh. Yeah. That's, so Josh. Go back and, oh Wyatt Teller. Wyatt Teller. You got three left. Wow. 2018 draft class. Josh? Now you're getting into Who the middle rounds here. So like, is that that's not is that Devin? Devin's 19. Devin is the 2019 draft, and he was a junior coming out anyway. Oh man. Josh. Who got drafted with Josh? It was a pretty famous draft choice that was made by the late Pancho Bia. Oh, Harrison Phillips. There you go. Harrison Phillips was at the Senior Bowl. Um, you got two left. Harrison 2018 draft. One of the Senior Bowl participants. Matt Milano. 
Not Matt Milano. He was the 2017 draft. I'm going to help you here. Taron Johnson. Taron Johnson. Good job, Steve. And you got one left. And I will give you a hint. Also a defensive back. And oh, Jaquan John- Johnson. Or- not Jaquan Johnson. That's not the right draft. But also, much like Taron Johnson, from a small school, needed to raise his level of exposure, went to the Senior Bowl. Oh, gosh. Ended up being a fifth-round draft choice of the Bills. Yeah, it's the safety. No, it's is it uh, the guy who just signed? Oh, he's, he can feel it. You're burning up, Steve. The guy should not. You got it. It's right there. Saran Neal. There you go, Saran Neal. Ah. Nice job. Clean sweep Saran again. Neal. I love Saran Neal. Okay, what is the most popular position selected by the Bills of those 16 Senior Bowl prospects drafted over the last five years? Got to be DB. It is defensive back. Yeah. Six defensive backs, four corners, two safeties. Uh, you know, th- think about it. That's that probably skewed the entire league numbers with 538 because that's the one. Well, and what did we say? Defensive back offers the best return on investment yes. of Senior Bowl prospects since 2012. And there's the Bills. Analytics taking six of them. Yeah. Six. Maybe the, the Bills might have been the reason for the Could be. Think. But, yeah, I think about it. That's We said it. I really believe that. The whole week lends itself to finding out who can play that spot. Oh, yeah. And the other positions, in case you were wondering, the Bills took from the Senior Bowl in terms of most popular D-line. positions taken. D-line with three. Quarterback with two. Was Nathan Peterman a quarterback? (laughs) Wide receiver, two. O-line, two. Tight end, one. Bonus question, Steve. All right. Have the Bills signed any undrafted rookies in the last five years who have participated in the Senior Bowl? This is a simple yes or no question. I would say yes. And you would be correct. I think I can name two of them. You can. There's only two. Bob Foster. It is not Robert. He didn't Foster. go. He didn't go to the. No. Oh, all right. Well, I was. In that case, I was going to say Bob Foster. And I was going to say. Oh, who's the other one? I was just going to say. Um. Levi Wallace. Levi Wallace is correct, and the other one was from last year, the tight end Quentin Morris. Well, I would never have gotten Quentin Toledo. So. Those are your there answers. You go. right. Good, Steve. That Not was bad. a that was a great showing. Not bad in the numbers game. This, you are ready for the draft. I'm yes. I figured we figured you were, you had that on the brain. And so you know what? Be, Think about it. <laughs> Bills are probably going to take another one. There is a very good chance. The question is another DB. Was he at the Senior Bowl? Yeah. That remains to be look. seen. So we'll have to look. wait on that and see if the Bills make it seven. Go back total DBs. Senior Bowl roster. There were draft choices at the Senior Bowl. That might be. That might be. I thought that was kind of an interesting numbers game to play. So that's that why is. I, I'm going to go back and look at the Senior like Bowl that. roster and find out who we're going to draft. Okay. The DB. Right now, new customers can get their first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just sign up today by going to sportsbook.fanduel.com or download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. FanDuel Sportsbook, an official partner of the Buffalo Bills. Joining us now is a good friend of ours, ESPN's Field Yates, who believes we've seen one of the wildest NFL off-seasons ever and also has some takes on the Bills' approach for the upcoming draft. Here is Field. All right, Field, so let's begin here. We get the reports from your colleague Adam Schefter about the Stephon Diggs extension, and we, have, we anticipate that'll be rectified officially in short order. Um, 
I, I have a little bit of a chicken and an egg question here because the receiver market got turned on its ear with the Devontae mm. Adams and Tyreek Hill trades. But there's also a part of me that, that wonders, did those two franchises do that in an effort to be like the Bills, to try to get their quarterback to the next level by trading for a number one wide receiver, much like the Bills did two years ago? Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. And I think the NFL, as we all know, is a mimic league, right? You see how one team builds its roster and has success and teams follow suit. I think probably, though, the more pertinent factors in these wide receiver contracts uh, is, I think, first of all, like there's some pretty unique circumstances surrounding the two trades, right? I mean, a player of Devontae Adams caliber does not become available in a trade all that frequently. And then a player who is in the same tier, maybe just a little bit below, maybe a little bit above, and Tyree Kill becomes available within weeks. So I think that the fact that those two things happened was somewhat of an outlier. But I also think part of this is just the NFL and team forecasting that a year from right now, the salary cap, as we all know, has been impacted dramatically by COVID-19. And we saw a rise this year, but still going up to 208-some million is not a massive leap, especially when you factor in where teams thought it would be by 2022. But I think next year when the new television money kicks in, some of these deals right now are not going to look small. I mean, $26 million per year or wherever Stefan ends up at with the incentives in his contract, is a lot of money, but it could look a little bit more palatable on your cap if the salary cap in two years is $255 million or $275 million, or we'll see where things end up. And if you're the Bills and you have Stephon Diggs, who's been as good as he has been in Buffalo, and then even before that, obviously, was really good with the Vikings, and you're anticipating the possibility of a DK Metcalf or a Debo Samuel or an A.J. Brown or a Terry McLaurin getting paid, number is probably only going to go up. So it might be smart of these teams to be part of the front end of this train as opposed to the back end of the train where the numbers could just be astronomical. So with two years left on his deal, which is a little bit early for most teams to sign Diggs to that deal, it, it could be good foresight. Plus, Diggs said okay to the fact that it's a six-year deal. So by the end of this contract, as good as, as good as it is, it may be obsolete just like his last contract. Yeah, that could be the case. And, you know, I know that teams don't like to set precedent that they don't want to follow suit with going forward. You know, I just think Diggs' deal is a little bit unique in the sense that because he was a traded player uh, and, and the amount that Buffalo was paying him was minuscule relative to players of his caliber and the fact that he emerged into an entirely different level of player during his time in Buffalo made that initial five-year, $70 million pact, as life-changing as that is, feel like a discount, right? I mean, I think up until today, him and Cooper Cup are probably sitting there saying, who's a better discount in the, in the NFL than us, right? I mean, I think if my five best receiver list were to be produced off the top of my head, it would be Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs, uh, Cooper Cup, and, you know, one other player. And up until today, Cooper Cup and Stephon Diggs were making a much different amount of money relative to Devontae and also Tyreek Hill. Now Diggs is much more in line as a matter of fact, his guarantees actually exceed that of Devontae Adams. And while, you know, they've got their number one wideout locked up for some time, Gabriel Davis is still on his rookie contract. A guy that yeah. probably stands a pretty good chance of being their number three in Jamison Crowder is only here on a one-year $4 million deal. And while I know they have yeah. young receivers in the pipeline, like Isaiah Hodgins, you know, a six-round pick from a couple of years ago, and Marquez Stevenson, a fifth-round draft choice from last year, 
Do you still see a scenario where the Bills could draft a wideout? Yeah, I do. And I know that's been a popularly a popular mock draft pairing is the Bills with one of the wide receivers that could be available at pick 25 where they're currently slated to pick, whether it's Jameis Williams from Alabama, whether it's somebody like Jahan Dotson from Penn State, whether it's any of the number of wide receivers that we think are going to be available close to that range. It wouldn't stun me. Um, I think that the Bills are certainly, I mean, they're going to be high-powered, and I think that when you have Josh Allen, you're basically guaranteed to be high-powered every single year. But I would say if you look at this roster, it feels as though wide receiver and cornerback have been the two most popular picks uh, for the Bills in the first round. I think part of the cornerback context is not just Levi Wallace's departure in free agency, but also the fact that as the thing as of right now, you know, Tredavious White is still on the men from that torn ACL last year. So it wouldn't stun me. I don't know that the commitment to Diggs changes my opinion about whether wide receiver would make sense for them in round one or not. And as you, as you look at this roster with you know, Gabe Davis coming up and you see every team in the league really going three deep, trying to go three deep at wide receiver in your crystal ball and look down the road, how are, they gonna, how are teams going to handle a fact that you've got to have three guys that can win and you've got to pay that position a premium? And we're looking at something we've never seen before, a position yeah. group that is high priority and you need more than two to take the yeah, field. Sure you, now, you can say yeah. that about corner, but nobody really expected anybody to have two drop-dead corners. And Miami Dolphins did it for a year or two. Didn't help them. But at wideout, on the offensive side, you've never really had to have more than one guy at a position. Now you do. Yeah, you sure do. You have to have enough capable players. I think the reality of the NFL, and you know, we're going to try to assign rules of how you have to go about it. I would say, speaking generally, what I'm realizing right now is we're seeing some patterns. Obviously, quarterbacks are always going to be at or near the very top of the food chain as far as pay goes. And right now, wide receivers are kind of the emerging position. But I think ultimately what is always going to unlock the ability to pay a Stephon Diggs, pay a Vaughn Miller, pay a Josh Allen, pay a Deion Dawkins, pay a Matt Milano, the list goes on, right, is it's going to be a blend of a team that drafts well, and is able to make some of these players homegrown selections and is opportunistic in free agency. Like that's always going to be what unlocks this is that we can talk about needing to pay multiple wide receivers, need to pay multiple edge rushers, need to pay this, that, and the other. The only way it matters is if you can draft pretty well and balance it all out because typically the best investments are those in which you already know the players or the extensions of guys that you drafted and developed. And there's a benefit in when you're extending a player, uh, it almost always is at least one year before his rookie deal is going to expire, or in the case of a first-round pick, potentially two years. Because of that, like I know Stefan's uh, new contract is, is is being described accurately as a four-year extension, $104 million, but that's on top of the two years he has. So I'm sure Buffalo's sitting there saying to itself, it's true, but we look at this as like a six-year pack worth something like, if my math is correct off the top of my head, like $128 million, which is more like $21, $22 million per year, as opposed to $26 million per year. So you're going to have to pay those guys, but I think it's ultimately going to be viable only if you're able to knock some draft picks out of the park. And as we all know, Buffalo has been doing that extremely high rate recently, especially under the eyes of Brandon B. Last one from me, Field, is let's just assume the value isn't right on Buffalo's board for a receiver or a corner in round one at 25, and they just got to go best player on the board there. 
is the depth at corner and receiver from, you know, the draft people that are your coworkers that you talk to among others around the league is the general consensus that the cornerback class and the wide receiver class is deep enough to get a capable player that might be able to contribute, if not immediately, maybe in the second half of his rookie season as late as day two, late day two, I'm talking here. I think so. Yeah. I mean, the real deep positions this year in the draft, I mean, the one that stands out, it's a good thing because it's usually the opposite is the pass rush group. There are great, great pass rushers really starting at the top of the board with guys like Kayvon Thibodeau, Aiden Hutchinson, Javon Walker from Georgia, um, and then just sort of going through the rest of the first round. So I don't know that wide receiver or cornerback is quite as deep as pass rusher. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact I know it's not, but there are really good second round values at wide receiver and a cornerback. So if the Bills do go a different direction at pick 25, there are still capable players they can get in round two who could help fill that need. So it does not feel like a must in round one if the Bills feels that they do have a need there that needs to be filled before the season begins, they can find players in round two and beyond. I think one of the things we're reminded of in all these big money contracts for wide receivers is that if you look at these big one, if you look at the big deals, I think almost all of them are from guys who weren't first round picks, right? I mean, Devontae Adams was the second round pick. Tyreek Hill, there were different circumstances because of major character concerns. He was a fifth round pick. Steph was a fifth round pick. Cooper Cup was a third round pick. Robert Woods has been paid before. He was a second-round pick of the Bills. Like, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, and Debo Samuel, all second-round picks. Jerry McCorn, a third-round pick. So I think there's a pretty strong track record that suggests that, you know, wide receiver is not running back in the sense that it's not uncommon for a six-round running back to be a really good player as a rookie. But we're starting to see more and more wide receivers that slip through the cracks of the first round who end up becoming game-changing players for their offense. Good stuff, Phil. We really appreciate you taking some time for us. We'll look forward to seeing you during the regular season and just after the draft as well. Can't wait already, guys. We conclude this edition of Bills by the Numbers with our one burning question. We got to still get the echo effect. We gotta st- I got to work on that. <laughs> we'll we'll, get, we'll I'll work. talk to the guys in the control room, see if we can make That's it right. sound even more imposing. Because <laughs> uh, I certainly don't appear imposing, but I can certainly sound opposing yes, with the right effect. With, yes. Uh, we've seen players like Alabama receiver Jamison Williams and even Michigan pass rusher David Ajabo mentioned as possibilities for the Bills because they have talent at receiver and pass rusher, and the general thought there is they can afford to wait on a prospect like Ajabo or Jamison Williams who might take time in rehab and benefit by getting great value because they can get him further down the board. The question, Steve, is do you see that kind of scenario more likely or because the Bills are considered Super Bowl favorites, is it more likely that Brandon Bean and company draft healthy players ready ready to contribute this year sooner rather than later, knowing they're going to need all hands on deck? Uh, well, I think both those players are a little bit different. Ojabo's got no shot at playing this season. Right, Achilles. Jamison Williams does yeah. late, which may be right when you need the guy the most. Yeah, so Jameson Williams is a possibility, uh, and I know it's you know we're talking generalities. You know, injured players getting a guy and and getting good them, value on an injured guy. Yeah, or do the Bills have a you know the opportunity or the willingness to wait on a guy to get ready to play because they're so good now? I don't think so. That's I don't think that's the mentality. I think they go into this draft thinking we're going to get better. We're going to get better as fast as we can, and we're going to do it by getting a guy that can really play. I th- because all these guys are 21, between 20 and 22 years old. They're young, all of them. 
whichever the guy they get, the intent is that he's going to be a guy like Tredavious White and Josh Allen and Steph Diggs and Gabe Davis who's going to come in here, and Dawson Knox, who's going to come in maybe if a, even with a slow start like Knox had, they're going to take off. The intent is that for all of these guys, mm-hmm. even the seventh rounders. So there, I don't think there's any reason for them to do that unless one of these guys, like a Jamison Williams, falls so far, like they get him further down, or that they believe, and some people do, they believe that the guy is going to be so good, like Hall of Fame good, like Pro Bowl good, like all pro good, fast, which wide receivers can get there, that he's going to help them some this year. Mm. I don't think by the time when the Bills pick, those scenarios going to fall such that at pick 89 or 57, where they sit right now, that Jamison Williams is going to be there. If he some is, other team will be probably. If he is – then you got something because that's an outstanding value because the other players on the board won't be able physically to live up to the potential that Jamison Williams will. Even coming off an ACL. Even coming off an ACL. That's what you're looking at. Do the guys that the Bills are available for the Bills to draft in every spot, particularly 25 and, and 57, are those – nobody else on the board is going to come in and be more be – have a better chance to contribute throughout the season – than Jamison Williams does coming in week eight. I do think there is, there are many layers to that yeah, it's not, decision because not cut it's dry. not just it's not just when do we like let's just say hypothetically Jamison Williams is on the board and they're on the clock at twenty five. It's not just how soon can we get him back healthy. It's also what is his mental acuity for picking up a system? Does he have to physically rep it on the field, or can he get it on the board? So while he is still rehabbing, is he going to be right up to speed with what we do because mentally he can take it off a board and apply it on the field, or does he have to get out there and rep it for a month before yeah. we can trust him on the field in a game? He- all different players learn all different ways. What is it for Jamison Williams? That goes into the conversation as to whether or not you take him at 25. He there is, are so many other layers to that he's besides not gonna the injury. He, he's not going to heal up in a vacuum. He's going to be here rehabbing. He's going to be in meetings. He's going to sit next to Steph Diggs and, and Gabriel Davis. He's going to sit there and listen to Josh Allen talk to those guys and how they're doing. He's mm-hmm. going to watch them run routes. He's going to see it. He's going to be able to watch practice. He'll be able to participate as much as he can without actually putting cleats on. So – there will be time for him to acclimate. And if he's the right kind of guy, that's all he'll do is study the playbook and all the positions. And so when he gets ready to be plugged in or say, okay, now you can go out and practice, he'll just step into the huddle, hear the play, go out and run it. Right. He, doesn't have, he doesn't have to think about, okay, what do I do? Where do I line up? What do I, you know. Um, but there are physical learners out there that play absolutely. in this league. They and have to physically astute, rep it to get it. It's an astute point by you because if he's a guy that has to go out and physically rep it to get it, now he might not that be able to help you back. as quick. That pushes him back because even if he can come out and start practicing, it's going to be weeks before he can go out and have a full menu of plays to be able to just go out there and play without thinking about it. So, yeah, um, if he has shown mental acuity to be out there and just look at it on a paper, go out there and let's go. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. And I don't know which kind he is, but yeah. I'm just saying. But it's a consideration. Personnel people and coaches want to know that. How does he learn? Yeah. How does he retain? 
How does how quickly does he apply what's on the board to the field? Does he need to physically rep it to get it and embed it in his brain where you can put him out on the field and trust him that he knows what's happening? Another example of that is the Clemson corner, Andrew Booth, who's been mocked to the Bills in several mock drafts. He just had sports hernia surgery. He's expected to be ready by training camp, but he's missing OTAs. He's missing minicamp. And, you know, is he good enough to challenge for a CB2 role if he were to be the Bills pick? Yes, no, maybe. And then if so, is training camp and the preseason enough time for him to truly challenge for that job while also learning how to play off the other four or five guys back there within the scope of the scheme. How good can he get before he's 100% healthy Yeah, mentally? How up to speed can he get with assignments? Because this train's moving here in Buffalo. nuances, all of that. Yeah, the train ain't stopping for any of these guys. And can they catch up to speed before they're 100%? That, that says a lot about how successful they'll be. Yeah. That is a wrap for this edition of Bills by the Numbers, presented by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Be sure to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use so you know when our next episode is up. And remember, when you need to know about the Bills, you need to check Bills by the Numbers. For Steve Tasker, I'm Chris Brown. We'll catch you next time, everybody.